Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Evangelistic Faith Mission, founded in 1905 by Lewis Glenn, has sent missionaries literally around the world. Following the passing of Lewis Glenn in 1941, his son Victor assumed the presidency and remained at the helm for 41 years. This sermon was preached by Victor Glenn at the God's Bible College camp meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1976. He simply titles this sermon, The Hour is Come. I know you will enjoy this excellent message. I do thank the Lord for the blessings that God has been pouring out upon us. And I'm sure he's not begun to do what he wants to do. I believe this is just the earnest of what he wants to do for us. We keep obeying his voice, doing what he wants us to do. God is going to do some tremendous things for his children as we gather together in this camp meeting. I've been thinking about the blessings of God being poured out upon the services. thought about Brother Willis's preaching. He took us just about as close to heaven as you could get yesterday morning and still stay here in this world. And then uh, Saturday night, he took it just about as close to hell as I'd ever want to go. And since those are about the only two places we deal with, there's not much of any place else I can take you to. Since we don't believe in purgatory or we uh, feel that Christ took care of paradise, but yet there's so many things that God's Word reveals to us. We open our hearts to His Spirit, His voice, He certainly wants to meet with us at each and every service, and I know that he does this morning. I thank God for this rain, for certainly it is urgently needed. And uh, while it's raining on the outside, we could have the blessings of God being poured upon our hearts here in the service. I'll appreciate your continued prayers. I'm still struggling with this flu. God is able to undertake, make it a lot easier if he would see fit to touch me. I wish that my faith would reach up and grasp his promises, for he has healed me instantaneously on numerous occasions. I feel that the only reason I'm here is because God undertook for me so many times when I was so close to death. Doubtless many of you folks prayed for me when I was undergoing open-heart surgery, and on other occasions when I faced death, but God certainly is able to hear and answer prayer yet today. I will appreciate your prayers that God will give me the touch that I need. I want to read a few verses of Scripture found in the Gospel according to John, the 17th chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. 
glorify thy son that thy son also, also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self for the glory which thou had with, with thee before the world was. Reading through the fifth verse. Shall we bow our heads in a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, I come into thy presence just now, asking that thou shalt give us the anointing of thy spirit, the enlightening and the understanding of thy spirit, Lord, until we can proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ as thou would have them to be proclaimed. Touch us, Lord, physically, but most of all, touch our spirit. Help us, Lord, that thy presence shall be manifested and demonstrated in our midst until it will be worth our gathering together. We're not here, Lord, as a door swinging on its hinges without objective or purpose. Oh, Lord, I believe that each time we gather, we should expect something from thy hand. And we do not believe that thou will disappoint us. I pray thee, Spirit of God, that thou wilt speak to our hearts through thy word. Quicken it through thy spirit, Lord. And if there be needs represented in the audience here, that thou shalt not only make known that need to that individual, but also the source of remedy where they can find that need provided for. In Jesus' name, amen. My text is a very brief text of Scripture. One statement in the first verse of this chapter, sometimes called the high priestly prayer of Christ. The hour is come. There are many times of crises that come into each life. You've not, never reached one of those, I am sure that eventually you will. It could come as far as a person's health is concerned. It could come in family matters. It could come in your business. It could come in a spiritual need. But there are hours that certainly are of great importance to each individual. And in this chapter, it speaks about some that I would like to talk to you about for a while this morning that their hour had come. First of all, I believe Christ spoke these words concerning himself. His hour had come. He said, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Although Christ had not yet gone to the cross, he had not yet gone to Gethsemane or to Pilate's judgment hall, as far as he was concerned, his commitment was so complete that the work was finished. For he said, for this hour came I into the world. No one was going to take his life from him. He said, I lay down my life. His hour had come. When he said, glorify me with the glory that I had with you in heaven. My friend, when we think of the glories of the cross, our gospel centers in the cross. Our message of hope and salvation centers in the cross. And Jesus tells us in his words, he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. The cross of Jesus Christ is no more popular today than it has ever been. The cross is not an emblem to hang around one's neck or to fasten on a coat lapel. The cross is something that goes in complete contradiction to the propensities of a sinful heart. It crosses completely sinful wills and sinful ambitions. And Jesus said, if you want to become my disciple, it's by the way of the cross. You're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And my friend, there is as much reproach to the cross of Jesus Christ today, to those who follow Christ, as there has ever been. While there is a popular religion and a popular wholeness, which has removed all stigma or reproach. Yet when you take the rugged way of the cross, it has as much reproach and stigma as it ever has had. Jesus Christ, his hour had come. He was to fulfill his mission and did. And because he did not fail, my friend, Salvation was made possible for you and for me. I'm glad that 600 years before the coming of Christ, the prophet declared, he shall not fail. And when they nailed him to the cross, every hammer blow with a shout of triumph. The devil no doubt thought I put an end to Christ. My friend, he was only beginning for a fountain was to be opened for sin and uncleanness, whereby men's transgressions could be forgiven through the power of the shed blood of the Son of God. In the cross of Christ, I find the law satisfied. The law could never save men. We have some teaching today that if you keep the commandments and keep the law, you'll be saved. My friend, a person that's a sinner cannot keep the law. How could a person with a sinful heart love God with all of his heart? How can he do it? He can't. He can't. The law was merely a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It let us see our depravity. It let us see our transgressions. It let us see our woeful condition but it gave us no way of escape within itself it gave us a picture of the deplorable condition we were in and left us with no power to change that condition it said don't steal but it took nothing out of the heart that would prevent a person from stealing it said don't lie but it gave a person no power to keep him from lying my friend, the law cannot save. The law reveals to us our condition. But only Christ could satisfy the demands of the law. And he fully satisfied its demands. And not only does he give us the law, but he writes them upon the tables of our hearts. He writes his law upon our hearts. He puts within us a grace that has, gives us the power to be overcomers. Praise his precious name. The law takes our picture. 
The Word of God takes our picture. You know when you go to a photographer and the picture he takes looks too much like you, usually we don't appreciate that photographer. I've heard so many folks say, look at this picture, Brother Glenn. It just doesn't do me justice. Well, I looked at the picture and I looked at them. They looked identical. I couldn't see a bit of difference. I think that was the problem. It looked too much like them. But if they find a photographer that can bank them in with flowers and get the light shining just right and touch up the picture enough till it looks about 200% better than they actually look, they'll buy several dozen of those. And tell all their friends if you want a photographer to really do you justice. I know the man that can do the job. Well, my friend, God's Word takes our picture exactly like it is. And that picture of a sinful person is not a very beautiful picture. His wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. From the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, there is no soundness in him. Man in sin is not a beautiful picture. With all of his self-righteousness and morality, all of that is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But I'm glad in Jesus Christ on the cross, Christ satisfies the demands of the law and makes possible your salvation and mine. Also the cross of Christ gives us liberty. He sets the captive free. And he that the Son makes free is free indeed. Sinful habits are severed. The old ways of life are gone. Oh, what a wonderful change when Jesus comes into my heart. My friend, he'll make a new creature out of you. It has made a new creature out of you if he dwells within your heart. Praise his name. We don't need to be bound and fettered by any habit of sin. We don't need to be bound and fettered by anything that is wrong. There is liberty and emancipation in Jesus Christ. Thank God for the freedom that Christ gives to his people. A glorious liberty. He fulfilled his task. He did not fail. But not only for Christ and the hour come, but also for his disciples. Christ had been with them for three and a half years. He's getting ready now to depart. And on their shoulders and on their hearts is to rest the most tremendous responsibility that could rest on anyone. The propagation of the gospel of Christ the reconciling of the lost to Christ, the telling of the story of the cross. For if they failed, Christ's death would mean absolutely nothing. If they did not carry the message out and let men and women know the power of the blood, my friend, the cause of God would have fallen and failed. But this tremendous responsibility was resting upon them. And as you read concerning them, in this hour of testing, Jesus confirms the fact that they had their names written in heaven. 
They came back on one occasion and rejoiced because devils were subject to them. My friend, that's a marvelous experience. For if ever the devil was turned loose and devils are loose, they are loose today. And to be able to have devils subject to you is no small matter indeed. Jesus said rejoice not only because devils are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He felt that was something that gave them grounds to rejoice. They were saved. Not only were their names written in heaven, but he also speaks of their unworldliness. He said, these are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What a tremendous declaration. I wonder how many of us Christ could say that about. These are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Now I know that usually in our thinking in conservative homeless groups we feel that worldliness deals entirely with how we dress. I want to make myself perfectly clear it does deal with how we dress. It does deal with how we dress. For a person that dresses in contradiction to God's word is revealing something wrong with their heart. For my outward conduct tells what is in my heart. What I say reveals what is in my heart. For out of the heart the mouth speaketh. My friend, I conduct myself either right or wrong because of a heart condition. I would not want to say one thing in this day when the large trend is towards immodesty and indecency and nudity. I wouldn't want to say one thing that would cause one person to feel that I do not believe in everything that God's eternal word teaches on the subject. I believe it completely. I believe it completely. I believe all it says no more and no less. I don't accept a lot of notions people have and their private interpretations, but I do accept fully what God's word has to say. I thank God for the good standards that this Bible college has. Thank God for it. They can go out and represent the cause of holiness, old-fashioned holiness. I thank God for it. I've read the requirements, entrance requirements of some independent Baptist colleges that actually exceeded some of the nominal holiness colleges. Their dress requirements were stricter and more demanding and no doubt more scriptural than some of the homeless Bible colleges of our land. My friend, we're living in a day of indecency and immodesty. But worldliness encompasses a far greater territory than that. Worldliness is more than how we dress. You can dress modestly and still be worldly. Still be worldly. One of the best definitions I've ever heard on worldliness, you may know better.
But this definition is this. Anything that cools my love for God is worldly. Anything that cools my love for God is worldly. And that gets down closer to where we are, doesn't it? For you can engage in a lot of legitimate things and get so engrossed in business, engrossed in a lot of things that may be good within themselves until you neglect the most important, until somehow your love for God is cool because you're taking too much time away from your devotions, away from serving God, away from working for God. Worldliness is anything that cools my love for God. God help us. These are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. These have nothing in their lives that cools their love for God. Oh, that God would help us that we will not allow even legitimate things, legitimate things, to cool our love for God. We get so busy, so busy. I've seen people actually almost work their fingers off for the church work and get so lean in their soul in the process dry spiritually, unconcerned about the lost. My friend, what good does the work do if we have no power to pray souls through after we get them to an altar of prayer? What good does our work do if we don't have enough of God upon a service that conviction falls when sinners come to our services? What good does all of our efforts do if God can't honor us with his presence in saving and sanctifying the lost and the unsanctified? These are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It also revealed their need of sanctification. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. They had their names written in heaven. They were not in the world. They had power over devils. Yet they were unsanctified. Unsanctified. And with the tremendous task they had before them, Christ knew they'd never make it unless the Holy Ghost came in his sanctifying power. He knew that they would miserably fail and falter unless they were sanctified holy. God's eternal word demands wholeness of heart. You cannot accept or believe the teachings of God's word and not believe in wholeness. He is a holy God. He demands a holy people. The pure in heart shall see God. Wholeness without which no man shall see the Lord. I read the writings of a man who once was with the homeless crowd and went from their midst to those that fought homeless. And in his writings, he took that verse in Hebrews, follow peace with all men and homeless without which no man shall see the Lord. And he said, homeless is unobtainable in this life. It's merely a goal that God has set that we should follow after. 
Now, my friend, I can't conceive of a God who would dangle an experience of His grace before me and say, you must have this, and I'd follow after it all of my life and could never obtain it. I can't conceive of a God like that. My friend, he said, if I hunger and thirst after righteousness, I shall be filled. Yes, wholeness without which no man shall see the Lord. That same chapter, it gives us some reasons why we need this experience of wholeness. It said, lest any man fail of the grace of God. One of the great causes of backsliding. There are two that I would mention. One is a failure to pray and keep up your prayer life. The second leading cause is a failure to get sanctified holy. There have been more casualties and more people backslidden because they did not go on to wholeness of heart. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Oh, I don't want to fail God's grace. I don't want to fail God's grace, do you? I, I want everything. And every heart should cry out for everything God requires to keep us from failing His grace. Failing His grace. When you think of all the drift that is on today, how could some churches have changed so rapidly? Is it because somewhere back in their lives they didn't really get sanctified holy? Could that be the reason? Could that be the reason that when the drift came they had nothing to withstand it with? For my friend, the tide is going the other direction. It's going towards the world. And you need to be fortified with every bit of God's spirit and grace that you could have in your soul to anchor you against the drift of worldliness that is on today. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest a root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You show me a church problem, I'll show you carnality. Carnality. I've known churches to split over the most idiotic and senseless things. Over who's going to sit on the piano stool. My, what a tremendous issue to split a church over. And damn souls over. And send men and women to hell. And make the world look on and say, is there anything to hold us? I know a church that split over what kind of cups they use for communion. What an issue. What an issue. My friend, the thing that divides and spoils on most occasions is carnality. Carnality. It causes trouble in churches. It causes trouble in schools. It causes trouble in homes. It causes trouble in lives. It's a root of bitterness. My friend, unless the Holy Ghost with his refining fires purges your heart by faith, by faith, you will have that trouble with carnality. We need this experience lest we sell our birthright for a mess of pottage as Esau to be able to get probably 50 times as much support 
as I get. It wouldn't take much, but it would take enough to crucify every holy principle that I have in my heart. It would take that much. I know which way the winds are blowing today. And I've been invited to get on the bandwagon. But I saw that that wagon was not headed in the right direction. I want to tell you, my friend, when God sanctifies you holy, you won't need to be a part of the charismatic movement or any other movement. You'll be a part of the Holy Ghost movement. For I read in the scriptures by what offering is perfected forever, them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost is witness unto us. The Holy Ghost is witness unto us. I've been astounded when young pastors... In the conservative wholeness movement have asked me in all sincerity. Brother Glenn, don't you think the charismatic movement is the way to go? I said a thousand times no. My friend, either the convention they have at Notre Dame is just over and in conclusion now and thousands meet. From the Catholic Church it was presided over by a Catholic bishop. Can you explain to me how they can receive the Holy Ghost praying to Mary and confessing their sins to a priest? Can you explain that to me? My friend, God does not give the Holy Ghost that way. You can belong to it. They, they, they don't have to change one thing in their lives. Not one thing in their lives. All they have to do is speak in what they call unknown tongues. But I want to say however unpopular it may be, it's still unscriptural. The Holy Ghost will witness to us. My friend, almost every denomination of any size, from Catholics, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, you name them, homeless denominations, are threatened with the assault of this movement. And thousands of homeless people are sending their offerings to radio preachers that belong to this movement. Oh, my friend, it is not scriptural. That's the basis that I oppose it. I find nowhere where God says the tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. No, he'll witness to our hearts. He'll witness to our heart. Praise his name. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. They needed wholeness. I needed wholeness. And if you're not sanctified, you need wholeness. I started preaching before I was sanctified. I don't really think anyone has a right to do that. I feel that we follow the scriptural precepts that no doubt everyone should get sanctified. Or you go out to minister to others. But I started preaching before I was sanctified. God began to press to my heart the desperate need of this experience. Young men that started with me were beginning to falter and fail. And I got so under conviction for the need of wholeness. I was in a revival, preaching in a revival. God brought to my heart the urgency. If you don't get this experience, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail as others are failing. Now what I want you to do tonight after you preach, get off of your platform after you acknowledge to the audience,
that you are not sanctified. You be the first seeker at your own altar. What a battle I had that day. I never knew the devil was so interested in my future. He told me all the bad things that would happen. That no one would ever have faith in me again. I reached the point of utter despair. It was seek or swim. Survive or perish. I didn't care what he said. I really didn't know whether anyone had very much faith in me then or not. I knew one thing. I needed to be sanctified holy. My friend, it did not take long. For the issues had been settled. My knees had barely hit the floor. When my faith reached up and laid claim to the sanctifying power of the Holy Ghost. I can arise to shout, thank God the doubts are settled, for I know, I know it's real. And to his glory, he has held me steady through the battles, through the storms, through the pressures, through all the situations. He's held me steady. My friend, we need this experience or we will sell out. We'll get sidetracked. And if you love not the truth, God said he would send you strong delusions that you would believe a lie and be damned. God help us. Are you sanctified? Are you sanctified? The hour for them had come. The hour when on their actions hinged the propagation of the gospel to the world. What they did determined whether you and I would ever hear the gospel or not. If they would have failed to have gone to the upper room, the chances are that we would never have had the gospel. Maybe God would have provided another way. I, I don't know of another way. My friend, depended upon what you do, your hour has come if you're not sanctified. But you need to do something about it. For not only is your never-dying soul at stake, but also the souls of those you might help. There was one more that I mentioned briefly. His hour had come, and that was Judas. Judas had equal opportunities. He'd heard the same teachings. He'd seen the same miracles. He was the treasure, the trusted treasure, although he was a thief. But there he was. His hour had come. And he walks away that night into the darkness of despair to sell his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And finally, he realizes the terrible thing he has done. He flings the money back at the priest's feet and goes out and takes his own life. My God, to think of the opportunities Judas squandered to think of the light that he rejected. To think of the truth that he spurned. What folly. But how much light has been rejected by maybe some here. How much truth may have been rejected by some here. I've had people try to rebuttal the necessity of wholeness by telling about a grandfather or grandmother that went to heaven without it. They're in the hands of God. That, that's between them and God. I 
am not disturbed about that grandmother or grandmother, but I am disturbed about people that know they need wholeness and do nothing about it. They're the ones that trouble my soul. They're the ones that cause me anguish of heart. What will you do in that day? You can't say to God, I didn't know the way of wholeness, for you do. You do. Your hour has come. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. Oh, my God. We can help see some that are unsanctified get sanctified this morning. It could mean so much to them and so much to thy cause. For their lives will never realize the full potential until all on the altar is laid. Oh, Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord God. Every unsanctified heart shall feel the urgency of going on to wholeness. Hear thy word saying, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Shall we stand? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Oh